We typically think that we sin through greed once we have made an unjust business transaction or if I've stolen something. But Christ shows in this gospel particularly that we can sin through greed in ways that are normal for the American lifestyle and maybe even considered the American dream. First, this man approaches Jesus saying, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Probably something that he justly deserves. He probably does justly deserve this inheritance that's to be shared with him. And then in the parable, the second point is that whenever this rich man who has a bumper crop has more grain than he knows what to do with, he says to himself, now as for you, you have so many good things, rest, eat, drink, be merry. Go and enjoy retirement. It's like, hey, yeah, we have like the American dream here. And then God swoops in and says, you fool, tonight your soul will be demanded of you. And who, to who do these possessions belong? It seems like Jesus comes in and crushes that. And so the question is, how do we think rightly about wealth? How do we think rightly about the sin of greed? Because we are also talking about the man who has no problem whenever a woman takes a, an alabaster jar of oil and crushes it at his feet. And this being a whole year's wages worth of money that's just poured out in front of him. We're talking about a man who had no problem feasting himself. In fact, was um, accused of being a glutton and a drunkard in comparison to John the Baptist. We are talking about a man who was insistent on giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and giving to God what is God's and on paying the temple tax. So how do we rightly think about wealth? The first thing is that I think as laypersons cannot compare the vow of poverty that a religious takes to what the duties of a layperson are. It's easy to say, okay, well, to some, Jesus says, sell all that you have, come and follow me. Well, I can't do that because I'm married and I have a job. I don't know what to do. And so I'm just going to kind of do what I want and then not wrong anybody along the way. But we know that the Lord still calls us to some kind of poverty. The layperson, of course, has responsibility to their families. But also, the layperson has a specific role within the church to sanctify creation, to use the things that I have rightly for the building up of the kingdom of God. This is, so it is good, then, for the layperson to own things. Now, in that right use of the building up of the kingdom of God, it must be said that I'm not like just kind of trying to make heaven come on earth in the sense that I'm not just trying to make everything better or like more wealthy, right? Um, more nice. But that I am using my wealth to instill virtue in my family, in my own life, and in those I can influence. I think the second point, though, considering 
while yes, the layperson does need money, that we all do, as a matter of fact, but particularly that as laity, that the call of the laity is to sanctify creation, to use it rightly. At the same time, the scriptures still hold true, and the Lord regularly speaks kind of harshly about the way that we can use money. We hear St. Paul say that the love of money is the root of all evil, that it is harder for the rich man, Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And then this parable that we hear today. And so why is it that the love of money is called the root of all evil? Why is it that, as Jesus says, no man can serve both God and mammon? It's because mammon provides something that only God claims to provide, or we think so, and that is security. That the more and more that I trust in wealth and riches, the less and less that I feel like I have to trust in God. And that is a problem. It's the way that the devil would want us because it's a twisted kind of security. I care only for the goods of the body, for the goods of my own family, and then begin to neglect the goods of the soul. What does it, as Jesus says in the parable, a man's life does not consist of possessions, but he should be rich in what matters to God. And so because no man can serve both God and mammon, and mammon provides this kind of security that we should be relying upon the Lord for, this is why St. Paul talks about the love of money as a certain kind of idolatry, and why it is can be a root of all evil. Now, I want to explain some of the effects that greed can cause, even if I have what I have justly, I haven't wronged anyone for it, and if it's not an inordinate amount, but I've set my heart on it. We should be clear that a rich man can be spiritually poor, and a poor man can be rich in heart, in the sense that he is attached to goods. I want to give this example from a man named uh, John Cashin, St. John Cashin, who ran a monastery in the, in the desert in the, year four, in the 400s. And he writes about monks in his monastery who have money. Says, with the assistance of money, this monk has fitted himself as if he had wings. As in, he doesn't have to be there. He doesn't have to be in the monastery. He can leave at any time. And because he can leave at any time, any time that something's hard for him, he complains. And so, for instance, he answers to his superior impertinently. He behaves himself like a stranger and visitor. He is checked out from his vocation. He despises and he treats with contempt whatever he sees needing improvement. He always complains that he has little, and when others are given more than him, he believes he is being treated as a stranger. He never wants to do any work. Rather, he finds fault with everything which the needs of the monastery require to be done. He looks out for opportunities of being offended and angry, lest he might seem to have gone forth from the discipline of the monastery for some small reason. And he thinks that he will only find consolation 
for his departure and excuse for his fickleness and the bad character and defects of the monastery. That is, he always thinks that the grass is greener on the other side. The problem with prioritizing the increase of wealth rather than the increase in what matters to God, that is, my virtues, my heavenly merits, is that it makes the life of holiness optional. I seek to only give to God the bare minimum. And for that reason, I cannot be rich in what matters to God. I will always be poor in what matters to God. And so while these are the effects, so what do we do now? What is the solution? First, we have to understand the cause of greed. The cause of greed is our lukewarm love for God. That we have to first ask God for the desire to seek his kingdom. His kingdom is everlasting. Our kingdoms on earth are not. It is a poor investment to worry only about the riches of this world. And so to seek first the kingdom of God and know that all other things will be given us. The second point is that while we might not be called to um, monetary poverty, we are all called to detachment. St. Bernard says this about virtuous people um, who are detached. And virtuous, in fact, wealthy people who are detached. They do possess earthly things, but with the spirit of men who possess nothing, in reality they possess all things, not like unhappy beggars who get what they beg for, but as masters. Masters in the best sense, because they are devoid of greed. To the man of faith, the whole world is a treasure house of riches. The whole world. Because all things, whether adverse or favorable, are of service to him. They all contribute to his good. This kind of attachment allows us to see all things, even difficulties, as gifts from the Father. And so St. Francis de Sales then gives a, a tip on detachment to the laity. He says, so, so also you can possess riches without being poisoned by them if you merely keep your riches in your home and your purse and not in your heart. To be rich in effect and poor in affection is great happiness for a Christian. By this means he has the advantages and riches for this world and the merit of poverty for the world to come. I willingly grant that you may take care, he says, to increase your wealth and resources. That you may increase your wealth and resources, provided this is done not only justly, but properly and charitably. And this is the key. Am I increasing my wealth and my resources so that I may be charitable? Not only because, as this man approaches Jesus says, well, Jesus, I deserve this. I deserve this. Jesus is little, cares little about the kingdom of this world and more about the kingdom of the next. And so for that reason, he cares about the amount of virtue that we grow. How perfect can we be? And so how do I know if I'm greedy? How do I know? Just a parting thought. If I longingly desire to possess things that I do not have, and if I find my heart afflicted by the loss of goods 
and not by my own sins, which is the loss of grace and the loss of the heavenly kingdom. We should treasure the life of God, sanctifying grace within our souls so much that we have a, a kind of holy indifference to the loss of possessions. Where if we lose things, we know that it's for the building up of the kingdom. If we have things, that we know that it's for the building up of the kingdom. And if I lose something, perhaps it's for my own sanctification. If I gain something, perhaps it is for the good of another. And so, as the Lord says, care little about your possessions because life does not consist of them, but be rich in what matters to God.